Dude, you know what? Who comes up with those Facebook, um, like, your month of birth and your date of birth correlates to a, a name of something? Like, who comes up with that? Because I, the last one that I looked at, my birth month and date ended up naming me Dick Trap. So, <laughs> I'm just spitballing. Yeah. But I think it's Mark Zuckerberg. For people that don't know us, I'm Josh. I play drums. I played them in a band for 10 years. Same band. Um, I play guitar badly, but I like to think of myself as a musician. And I'm Nate, and I also play drums. I do play other instruments, but just not in any bands that I've ever been in. But I have been in the same band for five years. At least. Yeah. And, uh, well, that's disbanded now. So on today's episode, we're going to talk about the ins and outs of being in a band that people probably don't think about, which I feel like applies most to small local bands that eventually fail. (laughs) Nice. Okay. I want to ask you a question. Sure. What was your favorite part about being in a band? It's just in general. My favorite part about being in a band, I I think is just, I mean, doing live shows. Like, I mean, like we never really did any major, major recording sessions or anything. Live shows. I mean, small or large, however they may be, most of the small shows. Uh, that was always my favorite part. I feel like every show that we both played in the grand scheme of things is a small show, even if it felt like a big one. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I never played. I think my biggest show that I played was we played at a, the Poor House in Minneapolis, and they had, um, fuck, what was it? It was it was a bunch of what's the fraternity? They had a fraternity party, and I think the head count was like eight eighty, and the yeah it was almost at capacity. I think eleven hundred was the capacity, but that was the most I've played to. Jeez! But when it gets over, I mean, but I that's one time. They weren't there for me. (laughs) (laughs) I would say upwards of ten or fifteen were probably there to see me. They were there just going wee. Yeah, that that I would consider a pretty big show. But like if we we played a lot together. Mm-hmm. And even in our hometown, we pulled 150 people, I think, was our pretty standard. Yeah, that's really, max. That's probably not that great in the grand scheme of things. It's to not. me, it's fantastic, because if one person wants to see me, that's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. there is nothing, uh, nothing like when people... I don't know if you got this feeling at all, but if people like know your lyrics and they are singing them to you... Like, do you get that? Or, I don't know if our um, genres are in the same vein as, like, we want sing-alongs, we want participation, whereas, I don't know. How do you how do you feel about yours? Well, the th- your guys' songs are, I feel like they're written to sing to, or, like, you guys have parts that are specifically for that. We have a couple, or, like, we'll incorporate something live, like clapping, that kind of thing, but... 
with the band I was in, when people did sing our songs, I was always surprised because the singer of my band, which is the main writer of the lyrics, he likes to really make everything artsy and have like hidden messages and meanings and the words it's very they're very wordy songs. They're not catchy choruses. So when people did sing them I always got confused. I don't even know the words. <laughs> But really, though, I don't. I don't know the, a lot of the words to the song. So when people yeah. sing them, I don't know if they're making them up. But it is. It's very heartwarming when they do that, and it's confusing. But it's it's a th- the only time that that happens is in the small or like Virginia when we play and near it. Well, that's close to our hometown, mm-hmm. twenty miles away. So if they know the songs there, I always wonder if they actually like us, or if they just feel the need to support us because we're local. It's like when you when you go to a meat shop that's locally owned as opposed to. It's Sam's Club. You're just doing it to support people. So I always wonder if they really care about us at all. I think I think that uh I mean I I guess I, I don't know. I, I know for myself personally is that um music is something that I care about deeply and I feel like I I do a lot of the times definitely go to support because I mean as we learned, I mean like our local venues and stuff like that don't stay open. Yeah, they go away. And it's uh, it's kind of a support issue, but also there's bigger issues at play and stuff. But, I mean, I always go to to support, and I just love live music. It doesn't matter if I know the songs, which I know is a big deal for a lot of people, um, which is tough for us because bar bands that play covers pull more people i feel like often than not way more people hairball is a great great example great example of that they're not they i mean they're they are good musicians they're very good musicians and they have other projects where they write original music but i feel like it takes away from how good of a musician you are when you're just playing somebody else's parts and literally dressing like them the only reason we played covers was to fill set times because where where we're from you play minimum an hour always and it's like we have like 45 minutes of original material so you obviously have to fill that with something from someone else unless you can make up you know another couple two or three more songs that you know are originals and so this whole episode is going to be like therapy for, at least for me, for my current situation. That's just what it's going to end up being. I've been in a weird place with music since I stopped playing in the bands. I don't know where it sits at. It's good to talk about it. It actually, it actually is. I good better to pour talk some about. more wine. Yeah. I I'm actually in the same boat because I just I actually just came uh, from a live show. I, One that you were supposed to play at too. Yeah, so it's actually a funny story. It's not funny at all, and I'm very angry about it. it. It's actually therapeutic to me as well, because I sat with my guitar player in my band, and we talked about how bogus um, our band stopping was. Both of us are out of bands, and actually pretty recently. Um, yeah, past month. Yeah. Or two yeah. months. Yeah. Something like that. And and so... Well, by the time this is released, it'll be like two years. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
and we're actually in two months playing our last show. And that's you have it, it booked. Yep. Where? For Iron Range Homegrown. Oh, that's the last one. Yeah. Is it on a Friday? April tenth. <laughs> so if you know, I'll, I'll handle it. I do think it's that's a Friday. Is that is the proper term cathartic? We got ideas for actually some cool things. I'm very excited for this portion of it, okay. but I want to know. I want to go back and forth, but I want to know your worst experiences, however many there are, with shows in the past. Like, bad things that have happened, or stupid, or just, not necessarily turnouts, but, like, I have some silly things that have happened that have really pissed me off and bugged me for a lot of years. (laughs) I want to know if you have any. Our biggest show that we ever played, everything that could have gone wrong did. Pray tell. I mean... (laughs) This was at this was at a big uh, week long music festival. We were playing before one of the bigger bands that have ever come out of Duluth. I would say Black Eyed Snakes. Yeah, Alan Sparhawk. I mean, God among men. Like I actually, I mean, true confessions. I had no idea who they were until <laughs> we played before them. I was very grateful that we got to play before them. We also played on the same bill, you and yeah. I. And um, you were like, holy crap, Like you guys are opening before Black Eyed Snakes. Yeah, because it was a four. It was a three-band bill, but then the venue that we were playing at shut down, so we got added on in the beginning, right? So we were the first band, and then you were the second to last, I believe. Yep. So I feel like there was um, our guitar player's... I don't know if both of them broke strings, but I think, well, for sure one of them did. And um, on our second song, my kick drum had busted. And um, my homie, Josh, who I thought was was there for me, um, was uh, was like, yo, if you need anything, just let me know. And uh, I was like, okay. And so I spoke into the mic. Hey, is Josh out there? I broke my kick drum head. So what happened for <laughs> for the listener? I'm the Josh in that story. What happened was I I met a friend that I hadn't seen in a while, and he said, "You want to come to my car? I have a a vape pen with substances substances in it." And I said, "Yeah." It turns out he has he's from the military. Did I tell you this whole thing? No. So he's from the military, and he has PTSD. PTSD, yeah, he has PTSD. So he had, like, really high-grade substances. I didn't know that, and I was ripping it like fucking Snoop Dogg in his Corolla, and I had no idea what was happening. I went back in, and I guess it. I went out right after our set, right after... I didn't even load my gear out, and you were two bands after me. I went back in... And you had you had just started. You were just loading on, and your drum set was already on there, which apparently I said I would help do. I didn't. And then I was like, "Well, let's go back out to your car." So we went out to his car, and then we we got a burrito. <laughs> there was a taco truck, Where? and then I, they had a taco truck out front. <laughs> so you asked me if I wanted a burrito, and of course I said yes. And I went back in, and your set was done, and your gear was loaded off stage. <laughs> so I, I missed all of that. 
I didn't see any of it. I had no idea what was happening. And the funniest part to me is that I was being the adult of the night. I was taking care of my friend Bob who couldn't even stand. Right. But I didn't even know where the fuck I was. Well, that's okay. We did have, uh, I thankfully was able to, uh, like a like a pit crew, get my bass drum changed out. And we uh, used the, this band called Windy, their drummer happened to be at the show and happened to either play a show earlier or something. So he had all his drum gear in so his car. Who, okay. I didn't know that that's his kick drum. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Well, and, and so he's like, Oh yeah, you can use my kick drum. So we just like pit crewed, but it was a long and awkward two minutes of me just yelling into the abyss for Josh to, oh, <laughs> to save my soul. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. But, we, I mean, after that, we played the rest of the show, and everything went off from there without a hitch. Should rename this podcast "Bad Friends." <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't even your bandmate. I'm just a terrible person. <laughs> Karma got me, though. I was too. I had too many of the substances, <laughs> and I I was having trouble loading my gear. And a stranger playing pool, I was in his way, and he saw that I was struggling, so he asked if I wanted help. And of course, Substance Josh was like, yeah, help me out. He broke my kick drum. He broke the leg off. He loaded it in the bag, carried it out to my car, and I went back in and he handed me the leg to it. <laughs> he just stripped the screws completely out. Excellent. Yeah, I deserve that. Other than that, uh, as far as bad experiences during shows, the only other thing I can think of is dropping my sticks twice in one show which was horrendous i mean i don't i like don't know if i ever drop my sticks until the show where i drop my sticks twice you know i was at that show <laughs> i remember that and i i i will say regardless of you dropping the sticks watching you play is mesmerizing to begin with <laughs> this is not podcast but it doesn't it doesn't matter if you drop them. It's still good. Like it, if if it, it seems like it's part of the show. Still, you're so good at recovering with everything. Yeah. What happened? You're just was... so goddamn good. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, what happened was I think it was the second. Oh, in, the first stick drop was during a drum solo. Yep. Which is like, hey, look at this asshole. You know, <laughs> like just trying to be a show off in the most. In, in just the best way that you can, and then you drop your sticks. And then the second one was our our last song. I, I believe our last song. And um, I was doing a fill, and my drumstick got caught underneath the rack tom. You were playing on my kit that night, though. I was. And I have a pretty weird setup. Yeah. No. It, well, it, it, it's normal for me, but I mean, it's weird for everybody else. So you have you have an out on that. I see. I drop sticks on my own kit. That shouldn't be happening. I'm sure if you were playing on your own, you wouldn't have you wouldn't have done that. The last thing I would say is we had a show once. This had nothing to do with me, but our singer slash guitar player. There's like a section in one of our songs where he used to do a guitar flip. It's a it's a power move, but if you fuck it up, it's the worst thing that you could ever do. <laughs> and so he did a guitar flip during one of the songs, and as it was coming back around, 
the the strap broke and just fell like neck first on the ground just just broken the sound of like everything kind of stopping when a guitar just like <laughs> falls on the ground and just breaks like you're just like oh man <laughs> like it's like in guitar hero when you hit the wrong notes and yeah. it's just fucking noise right but like times 10 right my guitar player my band did that once at a show we played with a band from Minneapolis called The Missing Letters. Mm. And we didn't know them that well at the time. We became good friends with them, and we still are. But he borrowed one of their guitars because he broke a string, and it was a Fender Telecaster. And during one of our heavy songs called Cigarettes, he was really rocking out, and he didn't realize that it didn't have strap locks. And he went on the downbeat, and the strap came off, and he fucking just threw it into the ground. <laughs> and it's on I have I have a video of it and this surprise look on his face. Oh man, it was fantastic. I didn't notice until we got the video back like a week or two later. It's like and then the guy that it was Ron Cousy sent in was like, look at Ryan's face when he drops the guitar. I was like, when the fuck did that happen? <laughs> it wasn't broken. Any other bad experiences other than the Breaking another person's oh, guitar. Oh, yeah, that's not, even, that's not even a bad one. I have so many more. <laughs> I have two experiences that stick out in my mind. One was in Minneapolis. It was our probably our third show in the city, which coming from Hibbing, Minnesota, Minneapolis is where you want to play. And we played at a place called The Poor House. We had a couple different bands on that I never heard of, but they were recommended by some of the friends from Minneapolis. And I was very excited for it. And we had a local band from Duluth, Dead End Friends. One of my favorite bands of all time that I've heard. They're just fantastic guys. Really good band. And during their set, I noticed that I couldn't hear shit. So I went up to the stage, and I was standing on the edge of the stage. And the PA, the, the monitors were working fine, right? Really, really good. But they had a substitute... Um, sound tech in because they got new management they didn't have the same sound guy that we were used to he forgot to turn the mains on so I went up and talked to him and I was like hey I don't want to tell you how to do your job because obviously you're the sound tech but I want to let you know that we're not really hearing anything in the crowd is there a way that we can you know crank up the mains a little bit and there wasn't a lot of people there was maybe 30 people so then the next band played same things the main mains weren't on and my guitar player at the time he went up to the sound tech and was like dude do you know how to run this board because you just you don't have the mains on nobody can hear anything the guy got pissed never turned him on we played the whole set right and this isn't even the that that was the bad part but it got worse we had another show the next day at a place called the Whiskey Junction it was for a CD release show for another Minneapolis band called the Porno Wolves. Another new band. I was really excited to meet them. I'd never played there before. Seemed like a really cool place. It's right next to the Caboose. Well, that night, I was when we were at the poorhouse, after we finished up, I was pissy. I was mad about it. So we got we got paid dick. We got paid like 40 bucks, which was less than we normally would. And on top of all that, the PA wasn't on. Nobody had a good time. So I started drinking Jameson. I went... <laughs> obviously, that's what I do. That's I would have right. done it if I was happy. <laughs> but I did it out of anger this time. <laughs> So I had some Jameson drinks. My friend Jake was like, I'll drive you home. You know, just do whatever you want. And we went back to his house. I had some more Jameson drinks, some more beers. And I went down to his basement to go to bed. And I slipped down the stairs, sprained my ankle. So the next day I woke up, not only just stupid hungover, still really crabby from the show, but I couldn't 
fucking walk. I was like, great, we have to play a big show tonight at the Whiskey Junction. So I had to figure out how to play our whole set with one foot. I didn't do a great job. But nobody showed up for our set anyway, so it didn't really matter. That was a bad one. The worst show I think we ever played was in... It was our first out-of-state show in Fargo. Fargo. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a Lord of the Rings character? <laughs> <laughs> Fargo. It was in Fargo, North Dakota. <laughs> My God, Fargo! Hold on, son of North Dakota. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it was in Fargo, North Dakota, at a place called the New Direction. We had never been out of out of state before. We rented a U-Haul trailer. We were very excited about it. It was like twenty dollars. Just a piece of shit hooked onto our piece of shit van that could barely get there. It was delightful. It was a great trip. So we got there, we played with a guy from Texas, Darlington, who was, I thought was amazing. He, I think he, he headlined the night, and then we were right before him, and then before us they had a bunch of local acts, but they kind of, they did this thing where they all like took turns playing a song together, it was really cool, and they were all really, really good. It was, it was a mix of ska and jazz, which I didn't think was a thing, but they did it. So we played the show. It was really fun. We had a really nice green room. Uh, it had foosball. I had a great time. We got done with the show, hauled our gear out, uh, put it in the vans, and it, it's it's hooked onto a coffee shop. So upstairs is a coffee shop. Downstairs is the venue. And then there's the green room, and outside of the or in the green room is the door to get to the alley where our our van was parked. So we loaded everything out. We went back in for one last run to talk to the managers and say thank you or whatever. They locked the door put a note on it that said, please lock the back door, and never paid us anything. We were supposed to get, like, 150 bucks. I think it wasn't anything crazy. They locked the door and left a fucking note for us at the end of the night. And then on the drive home, it was me and the guitar player that stayed awake to do the drive. So, well, the, the bass player drove first, and we pulled over because there was a, a rain. It was raining pretty hard, pretty bad storm. And it, there was a hole in our shitty U-Haul that we bought that was $20. So it was leaking all over my drums, so we pulled over and put a blanket over it, and it was a 1972 Rogers kit, so I was like, well, I don't really want it to ruin right. in the car ride. So we put a blanket over it, and then the bass player was like, look, I can't drive anymore, will you take over? And I was like, yeah, I got it. You just go east. I'm fine. <laughs> right? A couple hours later, dude, I don't, I don't know where we are. I'm, I'm not, I haven't seen any signs for Minnesota. I have no idea where we are. As it turns out, we drove about two and a half hours south. (laughs) And we're right on the border of South Dakota. So I had to wake the bass player up at three in the morning and be like, dude, so this is what happened. (laughs) I didn't look at Google Maps. I don't know why. We were having a good time and talking. And as it turns out, I just didn't, I didn't go east. I just went south. (laughs) So, do you think that you could get up and drive the rest of the way home? Oh, my God. So, he had to get up, and we didn't get home until 6 in the morning. We dropped off the trailer. My drums got wet. I still have a shell that's, like, a little bit loose. And I think that that was... That's the whole story, but I think that that was the worst show that I've played. And nothing really terrible happened, but it's just the experiences. Mm. It's not even fun at that point. Mm-hmm. Mind you, we showed up to, to the venue... Probably seven hours early. Right. 
and nothing to do. I had we had a skateboard, a hacky sack, and a slinky. That's all you need. Seven I felt hours. like we needed more. <laughs> and that's been my problem for years is going to the venues and like when I when we go to play a show, I show up stupid early, way earlier than I have to to be there, and then I I don't know really what to do to entertain myself. What do you do? <laughs> Well, normally I just find you and we share a bottle of Jameson. <laughs> <laughs> that's true, but that's how mistakes happen and then you don't have a little helper when your kick drum breaks. But if you're if you are not there, then mainly I'm telling my bandmates to show up early because I'm afraid they won't show up on time. <laughs> so, so So like if your show's at nine o'clock. Like you I'm start like, you start at nine. I'm what like, time do you go? You're then? there at seven. You're there at 7, which I know is two hours early. But even that, you know, they'll be there at 8. So another, when we when we started brainstorming for this podcast, I have a lot to talk about with bands. Because my, my leaving my band wasn't, it wasn't something that I wanted to do, but I needed to do it for me, personally. So I have a lot of thoughts and feelings towards being a musician. So I have a lot of questions for Nate. Were you guys ever at the point where you wanted to make music a career and actually tried to brainstorm ways to do it, or was that something you desired, or were you okay with working a day job and then playing shows just on the weekends? Personally, I want I would have loved for this to be a career because genuinely it's one of the only things I enjoy in my life i mean as as other than your wife uh, yeah uh, personal relationships and everything aside sure i just as a hobby in case she's listening (laughs) right she probably won't listen to this no fuck no (laughs) (laughs) no as a hobby and as like a um something i i know that i love doing i of course wanted it to be something that maybe could potentially be a career. I I think that there was different goals in in sight for the rest of us, you know, which is kind of part of the reason why we disbanded. <laughs> so it was a fun thing that I uh, felt like I could do for a living, regardless of, of how tough it was. Because the energy that you get from doing live shows is there's nothing there's nothing better than that. Right, I I absolutely agree. Um, well, I don't want to just talk about me, but again, this is cathartic for me in a way. Is that a word? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this is cathartic for me then. Mm-hmm. Well, what what I don't think people understand about being in or wanting to be a musician is how much work it actually takes. I feel like me and my band put in a lot of time into it, but what you have to do and what I see now is when you're 20 years old or 22 years old, you buy a van, you live in that fucking van and you play anywhere that will take you. You take any amount of money and it's it's the same thing with any job. Like if you want it to be a career, you make damn sure that like that's going to be your career. If you want it to be something that you're doing for a living, you have to make it a living. So you take all of those shows, no matter what it pays, you take it and you quit your day job and you say, we need to play this amount of shows this week, whether they're packed or not packed. It doesn't matter. We need to play these shows and travel around and make X amount of money to pay the bills. 
and this is what we need to do. And the the Social Animals is a band from Duluth. They're a very good band. We played I played one show with them at a place in Duluth and I didn't know how big they were, but they they sold out the venue like real quick. Like I we had 15 people maybe coming to see us and I had to call all of those people uh before the show and be like you need to get here. The line is around the corner. And they then they got in, but I listened to an interview that they did, and they're they're blowing up now. Like they signed to a record label, same record label as uh, Angels and Airwaves is on. They went on tour with them. They're getting big now, and and I listened to an interview, and they would play 250 shows a year, living out of a van, and they they said that you have to have the mindset that like you have to make money off music, and like if you want to make it a, 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 as a musician, you have to understand that this is how you make money, and if you're not doing it, you're not going to make it. And that's something that I think is hard to find. Like, a lot of people want to be musicians or say that they're musicians, but you're not making it a career unless you make it a career. And what I've learned in my past 11, 12 years of, or 10 years, however long it's been, of playing in the band that I was in is that people can say that they want to do that, but if you don't make the effort to actually do it, it's never going to happen. Like, whether you're at home for two months out of the year or not like if you want to do it that's what you have to do i get that and and it, it is like a hindsight 2020 sort of thing where if you would have while you were quote-unquote young you know and just like went for it would it have been different yeah or would it have ended up being the same where Ultimately, you're back in your hometown playing shows for 100 people, and that's the only pull that you get. I guess you'll never know until you've tried that life of playing any show, anywhere, anytime, and just living out of a van. Yeah. I don't I don't want to get it twisted with this whole episode and say that like you can't be a musician unless you're living in a in a van and doing that cuz you can. You can be a musician. Like I'm going to play music the rest of my life because I love it. That's what I like to do. But what I wanted was to I'll just I'll go in 2013 we went to California and recorded an album, right? It was this, it was a big deal. The producer has credits like you wouldn't believe uh my bandmates went to school and he was their teacher in in la and he said if you can afford to live out here for a month i'll track the album and mix it and everything and you know you you can just have it like that's a big that's probably 25 grand Mm -hmm. at least that we saved on that so we went out and did that album and what happened after was we took that album and we went back to hibbing minnesota right printed 100 copies and played in our hometown which in retrospect, again, you know, you don't think of this when you're 23 years old, you're on top of the world, and you're like, oh my god, I have this album in California, look how cool I am, classmates! <laughs> but what we should have done is we should have taken that van, and we should have drove that fucker into the ground, mm-hmm. went around the country selling them for a dime, if people mm-hmm. would listen to them, get paid a hundred bucks at a show, eat at a gas station, ship the money wherever we needed to for rent, and keep doing that. And that's not something that ever happened, and it's gonna, it's gonna haunt me for the rest of my life because I feel like it's it's doable if you have the mindset to make it happen but if you don't have everybody on board and especially where we're from where it's where where we're from it's an easy city to get or town to get caught up in the lifestyle and just like that's your shell don't leave your comfort zone 
And I feel like that's what happened with everything that I wanted to do. Ironically, isn't that one of your songs, like, is about just, like, being in the hometown? <laughs> like... With a band? Not necessarily. Yeah, with your band isn't one of your songs yes. just about... The majority of them are about how that town is dead and there's nothing there. I mean, how was, like, recording, though? I mean, record the recording process. For, for me, I know that everything that we wanted to do was very... DIY, just like we have mics and we just, I mean, especially for drums, we just hook them up there and we uh, kind of mix and do the stuff ourselves. I have a, I have a weird take on this. So when we did our first album, we I, I joined the band and the album was recorded with a different drummer. It was tracked front to back. And then when I joined, they were like, do you want to re-record the drums? And of course, I was like, "Well, yeah, he's better than me. I don't, I don't want people to think that they're going to hear that at a show, and then I'm going to play when I'm going to play. That sounds like shit." So I, I tracked all of the drums. I took a week off from a job that I had and went and recorded everything in our home studio that we made. And it was a tough week. It was, it was very difficult. I, di- I didn't, I didn't not enjoy it because I, I like playing music and I like recording, but it's so repetitive. I mean, you play the same songs over and over. So it was stressful. Like it gave, it gave me a headache. By the end of the week, I was like, I don't want to. I don't want to play these songs anymore. I want to hear the final product. I don't want to listen to mixes. I'm done with this for right now. Because it was seven days of just drum tracks. But recording in a in a more professional setting, I think is, it's more relaxed. I think it's easier actually. Hmm. Which is weird because you think it'd be more stressful. Mm-hmm. But doing my drum takes, I did seventeen songs in two days. Hmm. Only ten of them made the album. And I'm not saying that. I mean, I'm not a. I'm not a great drummer. I, I get by. I, I do fine. It seemed easier to be in a more professional setting, knowing that somebody behind the wheel. I don't know if it was like a comfort that he could fix my mistakes mm-hmm. or what it was, but it seemed easier that way. But the the my problem with recording is it's so much of the same thing over and over. My ADD kicks in so hard. I get so bored of the songs so fast. <laughs> I just, I don't like it. Yeah. And then when we went and recorded our first album, that was our second time tracking it. By that point, I was like, I have nothing, I'm not going to do anything different. <laughs> it's going to be the same song. <laughs> they ended up changing because you get a producer who's like, yeah. well, that, that spot sucks. Do you want to, well, he actually told me there's this tool in Pro Tools called uh, Beat Detective. So if you play off beat, it'll shift your like your kick drum to right on the beat. Right. And he told me when he was doing it, I, I watched him do all the beat detectiving. Beat detectiving? Is that's probably not it's probably yeah. Doesn't matter. I watched him do all of that and he told me frequently during that he was like, Don't worry about that part, we're gonna get a real drummer to come in after and actually track it. So I really <laughs> never had anything to worry about. His name's Nels Jensen at the mm-hmm. Pi Studios. He's a great producer and a great human being. Yeah. I like to think he's one of my best friends, even though we only talk once every couple of years now. <laughs> but rec- it, recordings, I, I like I like being creative. So yeah. I have a, when I when I make personal songs, I'll make a song that's a minute and a half, and I'm like, that's a really cool chorus and a cool verse vibe. I'll go back to that and do it later. I never do <laughs> because I get so bored of it. So I I like being creative, but after the creativity for that one idea is gone. I'm just, I'm done with it. What about you? 
Um, yeah, I mean, my biggest struggle for recording, I guess, is um, I always feel like my drum parts are not good enough. That's really <sighs> weird to me because you're so fucking good. Well, <laughs> the thing is, is I hear these stories of like some of my favorite drummers who are like, I have every piece of my drum part tracked out. And I know that every time I get to this part, I'm going to do this fill. And I'm like, that is not me. Because (laughs) I'm like, like, I do fills in the moment. And yeah, I have a general structure for what I want to do or what what I normally do during a live setting. But sometimes I'm like, well, is that good enough though? You know, I'm like, I'm like, I don't know if that's, if that's the part that I want printed, but then I hear it back when we've recorded and I'm, and then I'm just kind of like, I just get excited that it's recorded. (laughs) Like, I'm like, oh man, that sounds so good. Not, not for any part of mine, but just like together, like having a piece of physical media that you have recorded is something special well it's like when you paint something i'm gonna look right at my painting and say you get to actually visualize something that you created yeah but another thing that i noticed too and i don't know if you do this or not but i i listen back to everything i've made and i critique the shit out of it like why would why would i play that fill at that part that doesn't make any sense that shouldn't have been there i would never play that live why did i do that in the studio (laughs) right yeah that's pretty pretty similar, but I just am am pushing myself to be playing. I always feel like I should be playing the most complex, hardest thing. You know, like where drummers would be like, "What? How did he do that?" But at the same time, then once you hear it recorded, you're kind of like, "That fits the song, though." You know, it doesn't have to be the most complex thing. It it should be a, a matter of what fits the song, you know, and and uh and I feel like doing the recordings and listening back to them it kinda helps you figure out what does fit and what goes well rather than what can I do to make the most badass complex <laughs> shit that no one can figure out how I did it. They're just like in awe, you know. Hold on. Don't leave your headphones on. I know that. Well, you didn't the first time. I wouldn't have that time either if you didn't say anything. <laughs> so, as tradition dictates, because, you know, this is the first real episode that you know of. Uh, we do a segment at the end called Bad Band Names, where Josh and I just, off the top of our dome, just come up with a name of a band. Well, they're written in, in our notes on our cell phones, but we thought of them at random times. <laughs> it's not like we thought of them just now. We write them down. I'm going to come up with one right now. Okay, well, I'm not, probably. Yeah. And so, as tradition dictates, we... Come up with bad band names, either from our cell phones, in a note that 
Apple has graciously provided. That's me. Or from a note in our iPhone. Basically, they're band names that we think are are funny. And then we come up with the name of the album, their first album that they would release. I'm putting you on the spot. Yeah. We're going to come up with the first album that they would put out and what type of genre they are. And so, as tradition dictates, Josh goes first. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) So the first bad band name that I have chosen is Sloppy Donut. (laughs) (laughs) You can't do that, dude. That's the one I pick. No, in a good way, you can't do that. Sloppy Donut. Sloppy Donut. Quiz me. Okay. (laughs) What kind of genre are they, dude? That is Mm -hmm. jazz. Yeah, I actually can see that. Is this like a... Now, what kind of jazz? Are we talking about like... Smooth. Okay. Yes. Smooth, even though it's sloppy. Donut. Don't read too much (laughs) into it. Okay. Sloppy Donut, smooth jazz. Sloppy Donut equals smooth jazz. And now, is that coincidentally the name of the first album? The first album is Holy Mattress. (laughs) Now, is that H-O-L-Y or... Okay. (laughs) Were you just going to say yes to whatever (laughs) spelling that I put out first? Yes. (laughs) Was this a religious album or because H O L Y? It's spelled H O L Y for for a reason. So yeah. All right. Well, duh. Just fucking. Are there lyrics? I yeah. Okay. All right. So we got sloppy donut. Yeah. Now and you'll edit half of that out. The majority of it was edited, and you're never gonna hear it. Nathaniel, yeah. what is your first bad band name? My first bad band name is Closing Shift. What what genre is Closing Emo. Shift? <laughs> you have to let me finish the fucking Emo. question. So, Closing Shift is an emo band. 100%. Are we talking like early 2000s emo or like We're today's emo? We're talking about... Modern day emo. Okay, so it's not great. (laughs) (laughs) What is the album called? Their first album. Not the second or third, the first album. Repeat what you just said. (laughs) What is the title of their first album? Okay, but you said second and third. No, I said what is the title of their first album, not the second or third. Well, you didn't have to make that specification. (laughs) Well, you looked like you were confused. Well... Okay, Closing Shift. Their first album is called Tropical Depression. Okay. It's about the hit ABC TV show Lost. <laughs> is, is it a concept album? It's very much a concept album. Okay. I've never modern heard of day emo. emo band doing a concept no, album. No, modern day emo. They're, they're concept-y. You know, which is a word. Do they have a single, like a hit single? The hit single is Hurley? (laughs) (laughs) With a question mark. (laughs) Closing shift. Sure. Has an album called Tropical Depression (laughs) with a hit single just called Hurley. Hurley? Hurley? There's a question mark there, yeah. Right. 
So it's an emo. Okay. That's a good one. Yeah. Honestly, I mean, I if you haven't heard of it by now, like... Well, it's not real. You made it no. up. I did. Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> As tradition dictates, just now, um, we do two, two. We per do two. episode. All right. I and want you so, to go first on this one, though. So, Nate, what is your bad band name number two? Happy to Drown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> of course it is. Yeah. Okay. What what style of music is this? Now, this is a folk metal. I don't get that. Well, they use, like, accordions. And? Double bass. <laughs> accordions and blast beats. You nailed it. Fuck. Now, Happy to Drown, they're directly from Scandinavia. Okay. As a good folk metal band should be. And now they take very heavy influence from uh, Nordic folklore. Um, lyrically, instrumentally, etc. <laughs> <laughs> so the first album that Happy to Drown put out is called Floating in the Fjord. <laughs> one, one more time. Floating in the fjord. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Alright, so we have Happy to Drown with the album name Floating in the Fjord. Floating in the Fjord. <laughs> single? Hit single, God of War. That is a video Parentheses. game. Oh. Nordic. <laughs> None of it references <laughs> any of the <laughs> None of it makes sense. Yeah. It doesn't it have does. to. It does. Well, you gotta listen to the album. I'm not, I'm not gonna look that up. I think you should. Now... Number two on your bad band names. Bad band name number two for me is Overeducated Alligators. I like that, yeah. (laughs) Overeducated Alligators. Right. Okay, now, genre-wise... Pop. Purely pop. 2020 pop music. We don't even know technically what that sounds like yet. So have you heard of the the oh shit. There's a song there's a Bjorn, no. Fjord? <laughs> it's a, it's so it's a it's a full band. Okay. Uh overeducated alligators. Full band. Yeah. But they use the thing about them is it's kinda like Maroon Five where they, they use samples for everything. Mm, mm. So there's no real instruments. Mm-hmm. The their first album is uh Paradise Found. Wow. Yeah. They found it. Well, have you seen the documentary Paradise Lost? Yeah. Uh, they found it. <laughs> well, that's what I was asking. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. Uh, well, you know what? Honestly, I know you're making these up. Paradise no, I'm not. Paradise yeah, Found. Yeah. <laughs> 
is is a pretty good album name, actually. <laughs> the first single for Overeducated Alligators album called Paradise Found, half-filled pint glass. Okay. I did not get that from your pint glass. All right, well. So. That's the end of the episode. Yeah. Thank you. If you made it this far, you're sorry. Oh. Yeah, well, I made it this far. (laughs) Well, I bet that you don't listen to this whole thing through one time. I will. I'm obsessive like that. We'll see. So, both of our band lead singers eat pizza only and that's what we'll leave it on fucking pizza